At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. In this episode, we're talking about the DRL, the Drone Racing League, behind the controls. First, my co-host, Chuck Nice, Chuck. Hey, Neil, what's happening? All right. That's my my. Favorite comedian, and did I ever tell you that, Chuck? I never told you that. And only every day, but I, I <laughs> yeah. but I will accept it whenever okay. I hear it, Neil. Yeah. You know, there, there you go, chalk it up. <laughs> uh, we also got uh, Gary O'Reilly, Gary, former hey. footballer, excellent uh, pro footballer from the UK, former professional athlete and commentator. So, That's Gary, always good to have you. But you. none of us have expertise in drone racing. I know a little bit about drones just aerodynamically, but that's about it. This notion that we have a drone racing league, this is, this is out there. And so we had to bring in the person who is responsible for this fact, named Nicholas Horbachevsky. Did I pronounce that right, Nicholas? Yeah, you did. Excellent, excellent. You, you founded the drone racing club. We call it the DRL. Are we familiar yeah. enough? We can. <laughs> Well, on an on a, on a initials basis, all right, the DRL back in 2015, that that's even a thing to do, and you're the CEO of it. Um, and uh, wow. you went to business school, um, but somewhere in there you had to know something about drones. And Cranes voted you 40 under 40. Is that still true? How old are you now? I'm still under 40. Still under wow. 40. <laughs> still, still in the mix there, huh, Nicholas? Exactly. Still in the mix, right and, on there. Okay, well, I got to ask this. And you're in the Guinness Book of World Records for mm-hmm. holder of the fastest drone. Yes. So h- how fast mm. is that drone? So that drone went uh, just under 180 miles an hour. Wow. Damn. That's, that's pretty wild. And, and, yeah. and, 
And is this the quadcopter or uh, septicopter type uh, setup? Oh, it's it's the a- Bugatti drone. Right. <laughs> the custom Bugatti. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out the, the aerodynamics of getting a drone. When you look at them, they don't normally look very I don't, aerodynamic. Wait, wait, let, before we get there, Chuck, let me just ask. Sure. What were you thinking when you created this league back in 2015? What did you want to, were you thinking, this is cool. I want other people to think it's cool, and I want to grow this. Or was it already happening? Yeah. And you said, let me organize this. It yeah, are you the Madonna of drone racing? You're like, wait, voguing is a thing. I'll just make it big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all a lot of things. The Madonna of drone racing is not one of them. So. That's not one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Chuck, that was a stretch. A little bit of a stretch there, Chuck. Um, okay. No, I, look, drone racing was around since about 2010. Uh, people, the minute they put cameras on drones that would let them see what the drone sees, they started flying high-speed, complex, three-dimensional lines with them, and then they immediately started racing them. Wait, wait, are you saying that before then, it wasn't common to put cameras on them, so it's not interesting to gamers at that point? Yeah, I think, think, you know, quadcopters really kind of came around in the early 2000s, and people started putting cameras on them to film things, but when they put a camera on the front with a fixed point of view that fed a real-time video back to the pilot— it was the first time that gave you a perspective like you were sitting in the drone. Right. And, you know, we always say it's like sitting in the cockpit of the drone. And you need that if you're going to go at high speeds through, you know, complex courses, through enclosed spaces, things like that. Okay, so that added a whole extra um, participatory dimension to it. Yeah. Yeah, and it just sort of took off. Between 2010 mm-hmm. and 2014, it, it spread all over the world. There were groups sort of exchanging information on the internet, how to build these drones, where to meet up, to race them. And it was this whole underground subculture of drone racing. So the and, development uh, of small optics has been the game changer in drone racing. Yeah, I think I think three things really drive it. One is the, the core technology that drove the development of drones, which is all the very small, inexpensive sensors that let you sort of stabilize the flight. Right. The second is these very small, you know, high-performance cameras. And then finally, the radio technology to broadcast that back to the pilots, and whether they look on a screen or a pair of goggles, so that they can see what the drone sees in such real time, that even when the drone's flying very quickly, they can avoid the obstacles, they can navigate the space. And just to be clear, to be specific, when you say small, you really mean low mass because the thrust provided by your rotor blades can only accelerate a mass at whatever, you know, Newton's laws, right? So you want not only something small to fit on there, but it can't weigh very much. Exactly. You need a very high thrust-to-weight ratio because you need to accelerate very quickly, um, it's your only means of stopping, too, so you need to decelerate very quickly by reversing that thrust. So No, yeah, you can you stop to... if you crash into something. That's another true, true. way. A tree will also Another stop. way to stop the drone. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. It might even be the most common way to stop it. <laughs> exactly. It is true, right? When you, when you sat down with the concept of, right, we're going to take this and, as Chuck says, make it big, make it real and organized, the concept of doing that to actually getting finished races, drone races, was that a simple process or did that find itself difficulty? It took years. Uh, it was a very complex process. Uh, I remember, so in, in early 2015, I saw my first live drone race, which was a group of friends getting together in this field behind a Home Depot in Long Island. They had these homemade drones that put up some like pool noodles to fly through as gates. And it was very amateur. It was very sort of backyard, but it was 
I just thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. There were these moments the drones would fly by you and you really felt like you were inside Star Wars. And I was, I, my thought was, how do we take this to a mainstream audience? How do we bring this to everybody in the world? Because I'm in this field in the middle of nowhere and I'm having this very cool experience. We should be sharing this more broadly. And the road from that to, you know, you look at last year, we had thousands of people in Chase Field in Phoenix watching a drone race live, you know, fans on their feet, screaming, wearing pilot t-shirts, watching this exciting race. It's just huge. Uh, and the main part of that journey was developing the technology to make it possible. Yeah. Uh, that was our, our primary barrier to pulling it off. No, I, I, I wonder something here. Is, is f- for so many sports, they are, let's say, technologically conservative if someone has a brilliant new idea, nope, can't do that, undue advantage, no, let's go back to the old ways and, and pulling teeth, trying to get new technology to participate. Are you, do you race, are there rules about the drones that can race? Or can somebody do a rocket, prop- I mean, there, did, are there rules about the drones that, that you can enter into a race? So one of the secrets is all of the drones are identical. Yeah. So DRL actually builds all the drones. All the technology you see out there racing, so the drones, the radio systems, the timing scores, that's all stuff that we created from scratch. So it's and like, it's, so it's like NASCAR, different. where the cars are in principle identical, so you're really testing the driver. Exactly. It's a test mm-hmm. of pilot skill. It's spec racing. Everybody should be on an equal platform. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that they can do to give themselves an advantage uh, it, with the physical the drone itself? No, that you, that you allow, them. that you allow, or do they have to accept the your drone? They can't they touch the to, drones. They don't even get to touch the drones at wow. all. We have, our, we have a, the, the league has its own pit crew that puts all the drones on the line. We want this to be an absolute test. We want to, you know, absolutely level playing field. And because our goal at the end of the season is to crown the greatest drone pilot on the planet. Right. And, and that requires everybody having the same equipment. So how do I practice if I'm a drone, if I'm an aspiring drone pilot and I... Or is it the fact that everybody's on the same playing field so it doesn't make a difference? It's like if you practice with one type of drone and we give you another, everybody's at the same disadvantage. Or can I go get a drone that is most like the drone you're going to give me and practice with that? And is that what everybody does? So there's two ways. So we have a simulator which in which you can fly a drone that is an exact simulation of the drone we fly in the league. So you can get very used to the performance best of that drone. You can also make something that's sort of somewhat similar. Most of these drone pilots practice on, you know, their favorite drone that is the most convenient to go out and practice with. And they make the transition when they get into the league to getting used to flying on our particular aircraft. But it's, you know, once you're accepted into the league as a pilot, you get your own, you know, you get several of those drones, you get to fly with them every day. Um, But you know, that's a, that's a step that people make once they get into the league. Cool. Let's go cool. back to the bit where you say you wanted to make it bigger, bring it to a larger audience. I think Chuck would call it Madonna-fying <laughs> racing. Um, you, 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 <laughs> Nicholas, you did confirm it with us that you are the Madonna. Of you are. Sorry, sorry, Nicholas. It's, it's, I, I'm sorry, Nicholas. Strike a pose. It's too late. Exactly. <laughs> so when you're sat down with the likes of ESPN and the British sports broadcaster Sky Sports, um, how easy was it to convince them that what you saw flying through noodles on Long Island was just perfect for their TV screens? It was challenging. You know, it was a funny experience going around and pitching this idea to investors or broadcasters because I got a really binary reaction. People either laughed me out of the room or they got very excited and they'd start talking about Star Wars, they'd talk, start talking about video games they played going. They'd, go, you know, they'd, they'd start describing drone racing to me in these incredibly elaborate terms. 
And you'd say, wow, you've got very high expectations about what this is going to be. And I think people sort of fell in those categories. You know, with ESPN and Sky in particular, we were we were lucky from a timing standpoint. E- you know, esports was just taking off. And I think a lot of people had laughed esports out of the room two years before. And suddenly it was, you know, filling Madison Square Garden and having huge broadcasts. So people were a little more open-minded to something new. They, did, they um, didn't want to they didn't want to look like a donkey twice. <laughs> right. Exactly. And and I think people I, I would say that one of the craziest things about drone racing to me is when I started talking to people about it, as I say, people go right to pod racing and Star Wars and Absolutely. you know games they played. And you're like, wow, we have been priming people for this sport for decades through movies, TV, video games. So people are ready for this high-speed aerial robotic racing. They just want to see it brought to life. So was there, I, I, was there was a strong um, age segregation here? Because someone over 70 who didn't like grow up with Star Wars because they predated it, they, they, maybe they don't have the, it's not, it's not um, they don't feel the force <laughs> operating <laughs> yeah. within them to embrace what it, what it is you're describing. Because I mean, you said it perfectly. You, you, what you've created here is the crowning, is the icing on top of a cake that's, that you haven't had to bake that's right. been no, in the sure. oven for, for 40 years. Yeah, and there's there's upside to that, which is you don't have to bake the cake. There's downside, which is, you know, when someone starts describing, you know, I would take pod racing. People always go to pod racing in episode right. one of Star Wars. And I always say, you know, if you look at that scene, that's a couple-minute scene. It's entirely CGI. Right. costs millions of dollars to produce. Mm-hmm. It uses camera angles you could not possibly replicate in real life. So even if you gave me flying pods and a desert to race them in, Mm-hmm. I couldn't remake that scene. That's a very high bar of expectation. That was one of our biggest challenges creating the league. Is that you know people see pod racing, you're like, wow, that's a you, you want that in real life with actual drones in a competitive sports environment and arena. That's that's a pretty high bar. So we had to we had to embrace that expectations. We couldn't fight it, but we also had to be realistic that it it you know it created a big challenge for us to get over. But back in mm-hmm. the day, with the resistance to esport that once was, was the fact that you brought half human, half machine sport to the table, the bridge between the sort of traditional sports and e-sport that made it easier to sell? It definitely made it easier. Uh, you know, I think for people, they said, this is a real life sport. These are real drones going 90 miles an hour in real spaces. They hit a wall, they explode into a million pieces. You know, it's not just showing people playing a video game. And I think, I think for the broadcasters, you know, the ESPNs of this world, it, it was it helped to say that. A, yeah. a lot of people weren't ready to make the leap to put video games on TV, but this wasn't that. This was just a new form of racing. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So often you might have a drone to film some other sporting activity, and then the mm-hmm. drone follows that sporting activity. What drone follows racing drones? So we film them in a lot of different ways. So we, we uh, all the drones have cameras on them. So they're yeah. filming themselves, their own point of view. They're filming each other. So that's probably behind. sufficient. If they all know where they are and they've seen everybody, you know. I it mean, helps. Uh-huh. But, you know, again, these, are, these drones are about the size of a dinner plate. They go 90 miles an hour. They go from zero to 90 in less than a second. So they corner on a dime, they, the high acceleration. So they, filming them is a little challenging. So we use ground-based cameras. Right. We use very interesting cameras. We use high-speed cable cameras that can, can go very fast to keep up with them. We've had to get very creative in, in how we film them. You can't use a traditional camera drone. They're just too slow. The drones I was, will just zip I was by. about to say that I've watched a couple of races on ESPN. And the truth is the technology for broadcast is behind you. Um, you guys have created something much like Formula One, but far more difficult to follow and film. The, the course track is much shorter, 
So mm-hmm. you have a lot more action packed into a much smaller space. Uh, and more importantly, you, your ground-based cameras can get coming and going and the tracking cameras can only go for a little while. But at some point, this technology is, and I'm talking about the broadcast industry technology, is going to be to a point where it will look like Star Wars. And that's when stuff is going to get crazy. Yeah, I think you see it. I mean, I, I, our pilots go out and have fun sometimes. You see them filming videos where they're tracking a golf ball with a racing drone. And they're <laughs> right behind it in the air. And it gives you a shot you Whoa. can't get in any other way. And I think, you know, the, the they're, they're doing a good job following things that are slightly fall, slower than a racing drone right now, a race car, or a golf ball. But eventually, we'll need people who can keep up with the races and, and track them in real time with camera drones uh, while also staying out of the way, which is a, another whole challenge. Yeah, yeah. You know, it'd be cool if, you know, the fastest pitch in the major leagues is, you know, 100 miles an hour. Have a drone follow, <laughs> follow the pitch right, wow. right until right it gets the hit. Glove. Right into the glove. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. yeah just there's, and, un, there's endless possibilities here. And then cut to a wide shot of the drone just exploding on the face of the catcher. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chuck, for choreographing. <laughs> so is this well, opened up um, uh, in, in the COVID lockdown? You know, there's so, you know, we've all been starved for, for team sports. This, this is something that seems like it could fill some of that gap. And has it? And will it continue? Absolutely. You know, we're, we're, we're very fortunate. Our sport is naturally socially distanced. The pilots don't need to be immediately next to each other, not in contact and feel the play. Uh, we do, and, we, and we, we've got other features. You know, we've always done races without audiences because we go and race places you couldn't put an audience. You know, we've done races in places like the Biosphere 2 in Arizona, where we're racing through the world's largest earth science laboratory. You can't put an audience here. So for us, non-audience racing is authentic. And we also do simulator-based racing. Um, so this, this spring, when the, when the pandemic really broke out and people had to work entirely remotely, we did an entire uh, racing series entirely based in simulation using pro pilots, uh, put it on NBC Sports Network, uh, the FanDuel DRL, uh, Sim Cup, and it was incredible. It was it was a chance to bring sports to people in real time when they needed it in a way that was totally safe given the environment. How did your the, pilots react? Excuse me, Neil. Yeah. From going with a tactile scenario, holding a control panel, to working a sim, and not having well, the the, isn't the, it the reality, same thing. Yeah. Isn't that the whole point? That the whole the point is for it to be identical. We we in yeah. fact we recruit pilots through simulation. So we do an open right. contest through our simulator. People can download an Xbox on Steam. They compete, and we whittle that down. And the, and the best person in the sim that year gets a contract to come and fly real drones. Uh, and those pilots do incredibly well in the real league, even if they're basically someone with a gaming background who's learning it. That was why we spent so much time and energy on the sim. We wanted something that was so one-to-one that if you learned in simulation, you could translate those skills immediately, not just to real life, but real life at the highest level of competition. This actually so, so- replicates Formula One. Because the, Neil, the, the the drivers themselves sit in sims of of the the Formula One tracks Formula around the world and go with it. Oh, and, okay. And, well, yeah. So th- this this is a there's a lot of correlation between so the two. What it comes down to is how good is your sim? Are the laws of physics accurately captured? Otherwise, you're not really simming anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, however, so however, the great part about that is you can replicate the laws of physics and then break them because you are in a simulation and then judge the pilots on how they handle the anomalies that would never occur in the physical world. Chuck, this is not the Matrix where you can... <laughs> yeah, yes, it is the Matrix. That's exactly what it is. We want to turn it into the... Uh, Nicholas, can you come back in the third segment? Because we, can, we have to break. 
And in our second segment, we're bringing on a, an expert on on aviation simulations, just to get a sense of what those challenges are. But for our third segment and final segment, if you can come back, that's when we sort of chew the fat and bring all the facts together and just have fun with it. So if you can hang on, that'd be great. Sounds great. Okay, when we return on Star Talk Sports Edition Drone Racing League, we're going to find out just what it takes to simulate a flying vehicle on Star Talk. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. We're getting behind the scenes and inside look at drone racing. Started off talking about the Drone Racing League with its founder, but now we learned that they also have a sim racing universe that people compete in. And we wanted to get to the bottom of what that requires. So we we caught up with a Professor Marilyn Smith. Marilyn, welcome to Star Talk Sports Edition. Thank you. Great to meet you all. And you're you're at Georgia Tech and the Daniel Guggenheim School of Aerospace Engineering, but that's that's not where it 
ends, okay, you're also director of Georgia Tech's Vertical Lift Research Center of Excellence. Love that. And you do research for the U.S. Army, the Navy, and for NASA. Um, oh, there's more, but, but wait, there's more. <laughs> okay. Director of the Aerospace Engineering School's Computational Nonlinear Aeroelasticity Lab. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And also a technical director for the Vertical Flight Society. So let's just, let's just, just, just vertical flight simply means you are, you are in a standing position and then you ascend. Is, is that yes. which this yeah. vertical flight? So, you, so you're ascending without the benefit of aerodynamic lift in that moment. I mean, with, with well, lift that would come from moving horizontally. Well, that's true. Uh, although the principles are the same. Uh, you're just using, instead of using a propeller to go in forward flight, you're transitioning at 90 degrees and using it as a rotor for vertical flight. Okay, so this, okay, so we've had, you know, helicopters for, you know, functionally useful helicopters for most of the 20th century. Um, what is, is there anything new going on in there now that you're at the forefront of? What is it, what's the frontier of what it is you're advising all these people who want to know? This is the most exciting time I have ever had in my career, which is much longer than I'm going to admit on this show. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, <laughs> But, well, you knew the Wright brothers, did you? <laughs> well, not that bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, th this is so exciting because between the, the U.S. Army building two brand new high-speed, really advanced uh, helicopters to replace what we've already got, then there is this the whole blast of drones or, or unmanned air vehicles and then there's the whole concept of the civilian world in terms of urban air mobility, both for package flying, because you see Amazon all the time in the news and how they're delivering packages through, through drones. And there's this huge concept that's uh, being developed by NASA and the FAA and, and great innovators all the way across the U.S. and the world about how to replace then the congestion in the U.S. with you know, uh, flying helicopters, either taxis yeah. or flying cars, personal air vehicles. You probably heard of GoFly. Right. Uh, it, it's just incredible. U Uber flights. Yes. It, mm -hmm. And everything mm -hmm. is changing. I mean, the one one main rotor vehicle that you have that's a traditional helicopter, now you see four, eight, you see combinations vertically, side by side, forward, aft. Yeah. It's crazy. It's so, so awesome. basically what has happened is, you know, we finally accepted the helicopter and let it be. We're like, okay, we're not going to try and turn you into a plane, which is what it's been, whether it's like the Harrier jet, you know, uh, moving the jets themselves or the Osprey taking it from a helicopter, rotational wings. It's like, why are we doing all that when we could just let, let it be? Let it be what it is. Well, actually... We're not letting it be. We do want to fly, and there's a lot of different what we call hybrid configurations where it starts out acting like a helicopter, and then it has some transitional, like kind of like the transformers, where it transitions and flies forward in forward flight, and which what we're trying to do is get the, the benefits of the airplane, if you will, as well as the vertical takeoff and landing of the helicopter. So and, and you're and these are winged flights? 
Some have wings, some have moving propulsion systems where they act as rotors and then turn into propellers. Some have combinations of both. It's, it's really exciting because there is no limit. You know, you guys were talking with Nick about the Star Wars and everything. Well, you know, it's not Star Wars because we need air, but um, <laughs> kind of the same thing. So, so maybe more like the Transformers movies. So I think, Chuck, I, I think, Chuck, the point you were trying to make was yeah. that the the helicopter, if all you ever had was a helicopter, now be creative with that. Right. Exactly. Not, not trying to always not say, oh, maybe I can turn a helicopter into, into an airplane. Into an airplane. Or, Wait, right, right, which has right. been I mean, traditionally what has been done in the past. Yeah. Well, but we're saying here that that helicopter is now its own thing. And and with, with a whole divisions, whole branches. And in fact, the U.S. Army, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Marilyn, is uh, we think of the Air Force as having flying vessels, but the Army has vastly more flying vehicles than the Air Force ever had, primarily because of vertical lift helicopters. Is that it? Is that, yes, I think, that's, I, I think that's, that's a fair statement. And plus, mm -hmm. if you think about what the Army does, uh, their vehicles are, are lower co cost than you know, say a fighter jet. So we can invest in more of them and, and we need them because there's a lot of places, both for military and humanitarian, um, that helicopters can go into. You know, one of the things we're trying to do is see, can we get there faster? Can we carry uh, bigger loads so we don't have to go in and out as much? And, you know, we see the fires in California. We see mm. the, the hurricanes down in uh, the Texas area. Those are the kind of things that that we really want to uh, access and to to address. What's the power source and energy source for these? I mean, are these electric vehicles? Are they chemically powered? Are they gas? What is it? No, Dilithium no. crystals. Oh, Chuck, of course. You didn't know this. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, that's the classified word. Well, I should have. Oops, oops. Uh oh, we're gonna you'll, you'll get some uh, men in black visiting you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, if she gets yanked off the screen mid, yeah. mid interview, we'll know why. Right, right now, honestly, right now we're we're still in the oil and gas powered engines. There's a lot of research going on for electric. I think what we'll see is we're going to see a lot of hybrid uh, vehicles, very much like we see with cars first. But there is a lot of research going on. There's even a company looking at uh, hydrogen-powered vehicles. So there's a lot of very, very interesting uh, research. You know, the sky. But just to be that. clear, when you say hydrogen, you mean hydrogen combining with oxygen, not yeah. hydrogen fusion. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> just to be clear. No, 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 no. <laughs> Home fusion device. We've saw that in, in Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we don't we we're not going that that. Far out, yeah. Not, 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 not Mr. Fusion. No, I don't want to see, I do not want to see flying DeLoreans. <laughs> no, okay. not, no. So, so, Marilyn, what are your challenges, um, given that, um, dare I use the word simple, you know, air moving over an airfoil of an airplane to, is simple compared to what's going on on a rotor blade. So if someone wants to simulate that, are, how, how well-behaved... Are the equation the 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 aerodynamic equations that model it? Well, we're talking about rotors and things. Uh, we do have some simple theories that work either in hover and they're they're actually very good in very fast flight. So we do have those. And what's really great is that they are simple enough, or I should say, mathematically uh, fast enough to be able to predict what's happening. Uh, during flight. So we can use them in real time. Oh, oh the, that's interesting. 
Yeah, but you know, whenever you're doing a simulation, there's always a trade-off. Uh, what kind of accuracy do you need? Because what is it that you're trying to simulate? So here, what we're doing with the uh, Drone Racing League, as well as the modeling and simulations that we do with the uh, military and with NASA, hmm. is that we want to be able to predict the reactions, the forces and moments that are happening either on the rotor or the vehicle itself. And so we do have some concepts that are out there either as traditional design tools or that are um, out there that can be used for any kind of uh, simulation. So, so they are. So, oh, oh, so that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Of course, if what you do is accurate, you can inform the the engineers who are designing the next craft as well as inform the programmers yes. who are designing the next simulation. Exactly. It and should work both ways. Yeah. That's kind of where this came into play. Uh, mm -hmm. because we were we were actually looking uh, and looking into the ability to use our simulation tools that we developed. Um, they were actually developed first for army sling loads to get those those uh, loads out to the uh, emergency areas. And then what happened is uh, we had But just just to be clear, a sling load is just something that dangles below Yes, and, exactly. And then I mean, gets dropped. Exactly. Yeah. So you so you see the helicopters coming in. They got a big net, a big yeah. net with bunch of boxes and stuff. A big net with, with Godzilla yeah. in it. Yes, <laughs> that's that's the perfect one. <laughs> the one with the, with the monster in it. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes exactly. Uh, or so this long to get to Godzilla. <laughs> so, so so Marilyn, in um, what? How do you? What do you teach specifically? Do you, do you teach the programming? Do you teach the physics? Do you teach the engineering? What's in your program? Yes, to all of the above, actually. Oh, good for you. So at the moment, I'm teaching uh, both graduate and undergraduate students the basics of helicopter aeromechanics, and we call it aeromechanics because it's a combination of aerodynamics, the structural dynamics, and the acoustics, the controls, uh, all together. So we call that aeromechanics. And for the I'm, graduate I'm sorry, students... You said acoustics. Yes, can you just just for my own you know giggles? What can, how how do acoustics tie into this situation for the drone racing league? Um, not much for regular applications, either military or civilian. A lot because first of all, is that is that making a quieter, sneaky helicopter? Oh, Chuck. No, well. It, for military sneakier, yes. For <laughs> civilian, you don't want to live around a vertiport or in the flight path of gotcha. a helicopter, just like you wouldn't for, you know, an airplane. So, yes, that's important. And so... And Chuck, just to be clear, you're, you're young, but when, when in my day, uh, airplanes themselves were so loud that if any airplane flew overhead, you had to stop your conversation for it to finish. And over the decades, they've gotten quieter and quieter and quieter without any fanfare. And mm. now you don't even look up when there's an airplane there. So, I, so Marilyn, I, entirely, if, if, if drones are going to be delivering goods yeah. all to all manner of people, and if they are noisy, nobody's going to want this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so here's what just popped into my head when you talk about all these things. I mean, just like drone racing, um, so drone racing... If you crash, you crash. Now, the other kind of drone, <laughs> that ain't so good. So are you also designing the systems that track and help pilots 
and drones stay on course, reach their destinations, stay clear of one another, and more importantly, stay clear of me. <laughs> you mean that navigation? <laughs> right. You mean yeah. navigation? Yes. yes, autonomous systems as well as piloted systems. We absolutely, and, and in fact, after this conversation, I will go in and put a line of code in there that says, stay away. From Chuck? From Chuck. <laughs> there you go. Ch- Chuck, you, you heard it here. You there heard you it go. Here. I'm going to hold you to that, Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what would be funny? Five years from now, 10 years from now, when everybody's taking drones from building to building in Manhattan, and I walk up and I can't get a drone, they'll be like, Chuck, yeah. I'm sorry, the code says we can't the go code. near you. <laughs> no. I'll be the only guy with a restraining <laughs> order on it by drones. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Chuck avoidance protocol. Yeah. <laughs> Professor, when developing this sim for the drone league racing and working with these particular vehicles, did it take you somewhere where you, A, didn't think you'd go, and did it help you, or did you break new ground in equations and thinking? Oh, that's a good question. Yes, we we have. In this whole process, uh, even before we got hooked up with the Drone Racing League, uh, one of the main things that we worked on was how can you take very complex aerodynamics that, you know, we typically were solving, uh, requiring tens of thousands of computer hours. And we tried to reduce it to get the information that we wanted for the, and the fidelity of the information that we wanted uh, in real time, which was uh, a huge undertaking. Um, So we had to take what we knew from different theories and combine them together and make corrections based on the physics because, you know, we can't break the physics even in a simulation. (laughs) Chuck. (laughs) You just don't want to, Marilyn. That's all. Well, true, because if you do and you're trying to train pilots, uh, whether it's for the Drone Racing League or whether it's for the Army, then, you know, they're not going to know the real thing. And then there's a safety factor. Uh, But that's, that's the key is that we're trying to get as close as possible to realism, but still have it so that you can interact. So it has to be in real time. So that required a lot of innovation, and it wasn't just me. I mean, I have a whole team of uh, really talented graduate students and undergraduate students at Georgia Tech. Um, And in fact, the person that got us uh, hooked up with the Drone Racing League was a, a pilot uh, for the Drone Racing League, who was also a student at Georgia Tech, and he happened to walk by where we were trying to design a new autonomous control system using our models and got interested and said, I think this would be great for the DRL. And so that's how we got hooked up with the DRL, because before we were working uh, primarily just for the, uh, the military and for NASA. So can I ask you two scientists a question about planes and copters? You got to do it quick because we're running short on time. Go. All right. Mm-hmm. So the thing about planes is, you know, you see them flying through all kinds of weather, you know, aside from like icing on the wings, which can be deadly, like storms, all kinds of stuff. They even get struck by lightning. But then when you look at helicopters, it's all about like every time in this, I'm, I'm coming from the movies now. Every time a helicopter's in bad weather, it crashes. So have you made, have you solved that problem? (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 And is it really that much of a difference aerodynamically that that trope, is it true or is it just kind of like a a poetic fallacy? Wait, wait, Chuck, Chuck, aren't you simply saying an airplane 
where its engines fail is a glider, but a helicopter where its engines fail is a brick. Isn't that really all you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so Marilyn, what are, what are the safety? What, what's the safety profile of a helicopter? Well, there's something called auto rotation, and auto rotation is where you let the air flowing through the the rotor blades power the rotor blades as opposed to an engine. So it's not really a brick. It's a uh, it's a brick with kind of like small wings on it. <laughs> so no, it's a uh, it's uh, 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 what are those things that fall from the trees? The yeah, yeah, whirly thing. Yeah, the, yeah, the well, little seeds. Exactly right, and that's how the helicopter and the whole concepts came about. Is that um, way back even before uh, in, in the BC area, uh, era, let's say, uh, people saw those and they before said- Before copters. Yeah, can, yeah. can <laughs> we design something that flies like that? And so they right. did it with toys. But during the Renaissance and Leonardo da Vinci's Leonardo time, da Vinci. he said, well, could we take that concept and make it into a real vehicle? And that was the beginning, if you will, of the modern designing of, of helicopters. They didn't succeed for several hundred years, but- that was where it began. And okay, let's 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 put this to bed right now. Okay. So, Marilyn, yes. just tell everyone standing there flat-footed that Leonardo da Vinci's design fails. Just say that because everyone thinks, "Oh, he's a genius. He invented helicopters." He has, no, he didn't. He it, helicopter. No, he didn't. That design didn't work. He never built it. He never tested it. He would have known it didn't work. That's right. The air screw, which is what he designed, right. is is not really viable. What's interesting at all? Don't, you're yeah. still trying to be well, nice to the guy. He's he's brilliant <laughs> enough. You can say he messed up here. Just say it. Just put he, it out there. No, I'm what I'm going to say is he didn't know enough about the physics and the mathematics at the time to be able to refine his design enough um, so that it was viable. See, but just, his design does make for a great water propeller. Yes, to a certain extent. So you can design something. You need bigger power and it's not very efficient. So let's put it this way, is that with modern technology, you can fly with an air screw. It's just not very efficient. So there's no way poor Leonardo could have made anything fly. Leonardo was, was, a, was a helicopter idiot. That's all. <laughs> uh, You're I'm such a downer on Da Vinci. He, he what was the not. Hell? He hey, listen. Was what, great, hey, I was kidding. He was a great innovator. He was a great designer. He wasn't an engineer. Okay. And by the way, there's really nobody around to defend him from that time. So <laughs> we're sending no, some I'm lithium just, I'm batteries. Just being, I'm just being stupidly provocative. Now. Nah, it is. It's but, totally no, fine. Good. We all love. He's Leonardo. joking. Everybody, everybody knows he was. We a all. Genius. We all love Leonardo. Yes. We, we got. He was this. a genius. Except in helicopters, where he was a dumbass. No, 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 to Marilyn's point. No, to Marilyn's point. The oh. physics was not yet fully developed right. of forces and aerodynamics. Exactly. Had they been, you know he would have been at the forefront of that. And absolutely. he would have invented the first viable helicopter. I think well, that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. And even then, if you look at all the concepts, they all tried and built upon what Leonardo Mm -hmm. proposed. We've got to bring this look, segment to a close. Neil, but if you look at his early drawings, you'll find he's a, he designs the first Tesla. <laughs> the first Tesla. <laughs> and he calls it just, the Tesla, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, but he just hadn't got to the lithium battery bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Marilyn, it's been a delight to have you on here. We love being close to engineers. And yeah. if we can bring you on again when we have future uh, questions about 
um, aerodynamics in sports or anywhere else. I'd be delighted to know that you're there for us. Absolutely. It's been, it's been a pleasure and been great getting to know you guys and, you know, Tesla on or helicopter on. (laughs) Aim high as the air. Yeah, there you go. Uh, aim high, great. aim and fast. Uh, uh, guys, we've got to take a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, we'll enter our sort of chew the fat mode and just see what we've really been thinking <laughs> these first two segments uh, when we return on Star Talk Sports Edition. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. Sports edition. The Drone Racing League. Uh, delighted to have had uh, the expertise that Marilyn uh, brought to the table on rotor lift. <laughs> Helicopter design. The physics. The engineering. We'll get her back. We'll find a reason to bring her back because there's way more to learn from her. Yeah. Um, so, but we have back on Nicholas. Let's do the last name again. Horbachevsky. Got Horbachevsky. it. Mm-hmm. Horbachevsky. 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 Did I get that right, Nicholas? You got it. You got, got it. it. Excellent, excellent. Founder of the Drone Racing League. So this is where we would just sort of shoot the shit and um, just find out. Uh, let me ask you, is there, are you growing? Is this... Yeah, is what, this, what's your height now? <laughs> 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 where, where's this going to be in, in five more years? You know, it's it's hard to think back. You know, five years ago, this was nothing. And now we're broadcast in countries around the world. We have millions of people watch our content. We have, you know, thousands and thousands of people participate in our tryouts every year. So uh, it's it's almost hard to imagine where this is going to go. But we want this to be a mainstream sport. And and frankly, I think this is the beginning of a robotic sport revolution that's going to come and change the way people think about sports and entertainment. Is it, is it fair to call it sport if it's a machine that's doing all the that's doing the heavy lifting? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there's this huge debate over what's a sport and esports and regular sports. You know, we we define ourselves as a robotic sport, one where a robot is on the field of play, but it's being controlled by a person. No, no, Nicholas, we we've we've resolved this on Star Talk in an earlier episode. Uh-huh. You have to ask, would the Greeks have drawn you on one of their urns? <laughs> And they would have as a god. <laughs> that's, they that's, would have as a god. Yeah, I'm sorry. That is, we we define that as, is it a sport or is it a not? I'm just saying, just so you know. No, let me, Nicholas, let, let's just what? give you the real deal. What? Neil is a wrestler, and yeah. so he's defined it <laughs> because that includes him on an urn. That's the deal. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, let's try, yeah. let's try and wander back into the present day. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so let's pick up on a point Neil made earlier in the show about Drone Racing League getting a COVID bump. Has, has that been definable in your numbers with the NBC Sports Network? Yeah, definitely. We have seen, you know, huge numbers. We, we, we did a all-simulation tournament that we brought up very quickly. We had over 4 million people watching that on, on Twitter alone. So, you know, for us, that's an out-of-season segment that we normally wouldn't do. But it's four, but mil- most, four million? Four million? Four million, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. um, The most interesting thing to me, though, is, is some of the stats are coming out that a, a large number of people were exposed to a new sport during this, and there's some recent studies say 60% of them plan to continue to follow those new sports. So I actually think, in addition to sort of the immediate bump during the COVID period, I think the long-term ramification for sports is huge. I think people are going to broaden the sports concept they consume because of what they were exposed to during this disruption to the global sports environment. So is, 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 there, it, is there any plans for you? Because, okay, I, I know that there's got to be a huge overlap between uh, gamers and the people who like this sport. I don't know that for a fact empirically, but I'm just venturing to guess that, you know, that that's got to be the case. Um, and if so, uh, is there any plan to bring those people into the sport physically through video gaming that you develop? Absolutely. So our fans are four times more likely to be interested in gaming than a traditional sort of big five sports fan. And, you know, we have the game. We have the simulator. It's on Xbox. It's on Steam. Anyone can play it. Anyone. It'll teach you how to race a drone, let you start racing against your friends. You can compete in it in our tryouts and you might even earn a pro real life drone racing contract through it. So it, it is a way to draw people in a participatory way into the sport in a very low friction way. They don't need to go build a drone. They don't need to go fly a field. They can just start learning to race. All right. All right. Now, here's the real question. How do I get in on this? Because <laughs> let me tell you something, Nicholas. You are, you are headed for some, like, out-of-mind success, bro. Right. Wait, wait. I, got a, I got a 14-year-old, and, you know, I have to limit the, the, that, that, the, the amount of gaming because it's so infectious. But, I mean, you're, you know what you're doing, right? You're recruiting and creating an entire audience like that's that's yeah. really it's a it's that's crazy man that's, chuck that's why he was cranes 40 under 40 so we've been over limiting this. your 14 year old's time because you want to get on <laughs> that's, damn right okay. i would i want to play i want to be a part of it and i also want to own yeah. it <laughs> no no i, I want to be in crane 70 under 70 yeah, that's exactly. what i want to be <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, you talked about your fans, and uh, yeah, I, we're, we're, all, we're all wishing we can be 70 under 70. Um, you're looking at your fans, and, and it's fabulous they're growing, but I'm having a thought here. Most likely poster on the wall for your fans is Elon Musk rather than Tom Brady. You nailed Am I it. right? 
You're yeah. 100% right. I, I, our fans, so our fans, 75% of our fans are under 35. But the most interesting thing to me about them is 70% of them don't follow a big five sport. So they don't have they're not they're not the people who follow football or baseball. They are the people who they're into video games, they're into technology. As you right. said, their hero is Elon Musk. It's not Tom Brady. They get a sport too, right? This is a generation they're interested in sport and competition. They're just not that interested in how far Tom Brady can throw a football versus high performance technology out in the field of play. Right. Do you think that's because that seventy five percent of your fan base? all got wedgies from the football quarterback when they were in high school. <laughs> so so they have completely dis, disaffected by big five sports. I mean, it's, I, how, I, how much of it is that set? The, the geek I, set, I, basically. I think I, I, maybe it's a geek set, but I, I think the reality is, you know, when I think of people I know, we're sitting down, we're going to talk, they're going to start talking about technology. When's the new iPhone right. coming out? What's exactly. Tesla doing with its cars? What SpaceX, you know, and they're going to talk about Elon Musk. They're not going to say, oh, did you see that football game where this person mm-hmm. hit that person harder than somebody else. They're just not as interested in that. It's not, sports are part of your lifestyle and our lifestyle is kind of technocentric. So mm-hmm. now, but but the interesting thing is when you look at the emergence and the ascension of the X Games, they followed that same, those same characteristics of the fan are present there as well. They are not nearly as likely to watch Big Five Sports or to be as interested as they are in, you know, uh, the the more extreme sports. Do you see any overlap with that? Uh, I'll call it that that fan base and your fan base. So our fans probably have less overlap. That so the majority of our fans are sort of that Gen Z type. They're they're less into extreme sports. That that has found less of a foothold with that generation. But again, I, I also think you know you think about when the X Games came up, people were skateboarding outside. Right. Their lifestyle was about those alternative sports, about adventure and exploring. You know, our fans' lifestyle is about. It's about technology. It's about progress. It's about STEM. It's the things they really care about. And this is a sport that pulls in those other aspects of their life and then wraps it in, in high-speed racing competition, which makes it very entertaining. Cool. So I, I wonder if, if your sim racing was as successful or competitively successful to the regular racing, could that be the beginning of simulations in every sport? I mean, look how successful the the home game versions are of the NFL or the NBA. If those were taken up a few notches, might people just sim everything and not even look at the real people playing the game if they get the physics of or the mechanics and everything correct? You know, it's funny. I, I say this sometimes. I, I have I have walked by a TV that was showing DRL, and I've had to look twice to decide if it was our sim or real life. And if you could do that with every sport, I do think it starts to blur together. But we talk about this a lot, which is the key thing is for our fans, they don't care. We talk about this sport being on the blurry line between the digital and the real. We seamlessly move between the two in the way that their lives seamlessly move between the two of them. If you talk about them chatting with their friends on Facebook versus talking in person, they don't draw some bright lines saying this one's better than that one. And I think the key is, especially for Gen Z fans, authenticity is so important. Our, fan, our sport authentically integrates simulation in real life. And I think that's where sports are going to need to go. You know, F1 does a great job because they have sim racing real life races. Right. Take basketball, there's less sim involved. They're going to have to explain to fans why this is connected. However, however, way. I will say this. The um, ESPN did run a v- what video game, NBA 2, on their, on their airwaves, and it rated. So yeah. 
So there is an appetite for this. Wait, wait, no, no. It's it's because there was nothing else to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, so it's, Nicholas, you're, it's the middle of the night. You're looking in the refrigerator. So you're like, wait, <laughs> so what you're saying is there's a carrot yeah, and there's a pickle. Like, pig, pig's knuckles are good to anybody who hasn't eaten in five days. <laughs> Thank you. So, so don't right, be telling me. Don't don't go go there. Don't, if don't. we get better computer graphics, are we there then? Are we there yet? Are we are we still a long way off? I think it's very close. But but again, to me, the more interesting thing is what does simulation do? It, it moves the participant away from where the action's taking place. But then we we go back to the next level, which is we then are controlling a real-life robot. Like simulation is one step, but you know, so simulated, say, NFL games in a video game, it's mad and everyone's playing. What if the next step is robots on the field of play actually competing, being remotely controlled by people? And then you start feeling that you think you can't do otherwise, right? They can jump higher, they can hit harder, they can throw the ball further. And it, it's pretty exciting. And it's real. There is still something about watching something in real life that is very attractive to fans. That sort of, uh, you know, th that excitement about being in the real arena. And I think that's where this goes, right? The, the minute you can simulate it perfectly, then you pair it up with robotics technology and you're at a completely different level of sports and entertainment. But what makes DRL so captivating for a younger audience is the fact the race takes about, what, minute, minute 10? Yep. And it's, it's rinse, repeat. How many? Wait, wait, it's not three hours long like a baseball game? Exactly. <laughs> right? So how many of this audience that you're capturing are going to want to do three hours of dedicated viewing, whether it's real or otherwise? You're capturing a market where an attention span is shorter. I think it's true. You know, a, a, a DRL race is about a minute long. Our events mm -hmm. are made up of many, many races. And we talk about it, you know, they still, people still watch our full multi-hour broadcast on NBC yeah. or NBCSN. I, we think of it as like lean in, lean out. For one minute, you are totally in, action's happening. It stops. Then you can lean back. You can chat with your friends. You can watch the replay. And then you're back in again. I think that viewing pace is actually what people really like about the DRL format. Not the fact, I mean, it's not like our entire event is one minute long and you only know one minute yeah. attention span. Right. It's, it's that you, I'm not asking you to, you know, I think this is one of the challenges with things like NASCAR, where every second you're supposed to be zoned in, every second counts equally. That's not really in sync with our life, where we're on multiple devices, looking around, moving around. People like that punctuated viewing experience. And by the way, you have to understand that um, DRL, just like anything else, it's about drama. So there are storylines that have developed. There are guys that are like, you know, um, super match rivalries. I mean, all these things, once you get into the sport, become part of the, the soap opera type narrative that's a part of every sport. When the Philadelphia Eagles play the Dallas Cowboys, you know, people who aren't fans of either are excited for that matchup because they're known to go at each other so viciously. So these become like the psychological attachments to a sport that reside outside of the sport itself. And I think you guys, of course, would have the same thing happen to you. Wait, wait, yeah. Nicholas, at the beginning, did, did, they, did they stare each other down at the, at the weight table? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then they, they do. And they, a lot of trash They throw off their thumbs. Trash talk. Look at my thumbs. Right. Yeah. They get in each other's heads. Yeah. But I, I, look, I think, I think Chuck's dead on, which is it's about the rivalries. Ultimately, it's about the thrill of sport, which is the same everywhere, right? Competition is ancient. The playing field, the battleground just keeps changing. And that's what keeps what, what we find exciting. And the truth is we have intense rivalries in our sport. And I think what's important when people who look at the sport with some skepticism is to appreciate is that they, oh, well, they're controlling a robot with their thumbs. From far, and you're like, but for our fans, it doesn't matter. That rivalry is real. That skill is real. 
They translate that skill to the real world. They go out and do things with drones that make you think they have superpowers. That matters to our fans. But to your fans, are the heroes the pilots or the engineers? Ooh. I actually think there's three heroes in our sport. There's the pilots, there's the engineers, and there's the drones themselves. I think people anthropomorphize the drones. They're, they're actually cheering for those drones as they're flying. They love mm-hmm. the engineers. Our pit crew is a very popular segment when we put on TV. People want to know, how do you, we hand build every one of these drones. We mm-hmm. hand tune them. And then the pilots themselves have the skill. And again, I, I think for our fans, it makes total sense, right? You, you People are fascinated by the engineers that are building their technology as much as they're enjoying the technology themselves. And that's completely consistent with everything else you've described about the sport and the fan base. So we actually, we run, we're out of time. We got to sort of land this oh. drone. Ah, so, I see what I did there. Let me just get Nicholas's yes or no to my following comment. Ready? Uh, you know, Gary and I were old timers. When we grew up, if you wanted to say someone was clumsy, all you had to say was that they were all thumbs. But I haven't heard that much lately. So now if you say someone is all thumbs... Is that the highest compliment of their dexterity that you can give them? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I was just wondering. I, I mean, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, there are guys that they're making millions of dollars a that's year. The, I was about <laughs> to say, that's with their thumbs. And that's <laughs> why. That kid is all thumbs and he has a contract. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talk to the thumb. Talk to the yeah. thumb. There you go. All right, uh, Nicholas, great to have you on. Um, and good luck with this. And yeah. let's, let's hope you stay a forty under forty as long as you're under forty. And you don't <laughs> and by be the way, Nicholas, bumped. even after forty, just stay there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gary, always good to have you. Pleasure, Chuck. Always a pleasure. All right, guys, thanks for being on. This has been Star Talk Sports Edition, Drone League. Till next time, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, bidding you to keep looking up. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.